beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Good morning and welcome to Wisdom of the Soul. This is really sort of a new chapter for this class. We started with some basic esoteric philosophy almost a year ago. And while we've touched on personal development, uh, basic meditation, and where to begin addressing stress and anxiety and understanding what fear is as confusion and uncertainty, but really rarely a signal of any sort of danger or threat. And then we went really deeply into the mystical and the esoteric. Uh, The last couple of classes, we did a metaphysical interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. And then last week, the Eightfold Noble Path of Buddhism. And I loved all of that. But it feels to me like it's time in this new year, as we approach the one-year mark of this class, to uh, go back to basics and cover the basics of personal development in a way that uh, we've yet to do, actually. I said in the newsletter that it's a fair question to ask ourselves, why would we want to develop a personality or a sense of individuality if our goal ultimately is to transcend that ego nature, that false self, that identity as a separate being? And again, I I think it's a great question and and deserves to be addressed. And the reason is that uh, it's an education, that we have to know our basic arithmetic before we can do algebra, and only then can we move on to, um, well, calculus or trigonometry or geometry or whatever. So there's an order to it, so like climbing a ladder one rung at a time. And I see in the community of spiritual aspirants a lot of people that want to sidestep all of that material. We understandably would rather not address our own dragons or our own demons. And we want to, many of us, seek spiritual unfoldment or the development of consciousness, in order to sidestep all of that. But we really can't. I've been really concerned recently in reflecting on the sudden awareness of artificial intelligence. It's like all of a sudden, in just the last few weeks, everybody is talking about AI. The reason it concerns me is that this open AI or chat GBT, I think it's called, is so good. And I've played around with it myself. I asked some very deep metaphysical questions 
on OpenAI, and the answers I got back instantaneously were quite profound and deep and very well written. The problem is it all comes from information on the internet, half of which is wrong. And so I'm concerned about dark AI. We're already in a situation as a result of our politics in the last seven years where it's increasingly difficult for people to know the truth. And philosophy is, if nothing else, the search for truth. People either don't know how to discern truth, or in many cases, are not even interested. They just don't care. They want their version of the truth to be a reinforcement of what they believe. Fifteen years ago or so, Stephen Colbert, on his old show, coined the term truthiness. And truthiness is uh, defined as, I know it's true because I feel like it should be, or I feel like it ought to be. Uh, Truth based on feelings is true for you if you take responsibility for your emotions. But you can't use your emotions, that subjective intelligence, to understand objective truth, much less absolute truth, the truth of the world, the truth of reality. There are relative truths, but there also are absolute truths. And dark AI, as I call it, deep fake videos. Uh, Remember the concern 20 years ago about Photoshop. Uh, Anything can be done now with CGI, with deep fake videos. And now with artificial intelligence, it's going to be increasingly difficult to know the truth. And so the reason today I want to do a class on meditation, on visualization, guided imagery, and insight meditation is to develop our intuition as a supplement to logic. We don't want to elevate intuition as superior to logic, but we also do not want to abandon logic as we uh, become more faithful. That's the way it would be said in a religious context. And you do see people abandoning their logic and ability to analyze and be reasonable in favor of faith. So it would be an error to be out of balance in either regard. Common sense is not so common. I don't know what to say about most people. I, I think we're all lacking in logic, but the vast majority of people have never developed their intuition. So we're in deep trouble, I think, when it comes to moving forward into 2023 and the next decade, as AI comes online, there are already books published that have been written entirely by AI. And the open AI people are saying, well, we're working on an algorithm or a watermark of sorts to help you discern what is AI and what is not artificial intelligence. Um, nevertheless, it concerns me because there are people who, many, many, many people who are just not aligned with their values and are devoted to materialism, to money, power, greed, and will say and do just about anything to garner that money and that power. 
regardless of the consequences. And they will have equal access to AI. In fact, the deeply moneyed people will have more access to it than the rest of us. But within the next couple of months, it's going to be built into word processors. Microsoft Word will have, Microsoft has already said, they're going to integrate it with word processing, with Microsoft Word. So we'll all have access to it. And again, because it pulls on the internet, <laughs> there's no way of knowing it's true. Um, enough. I don't, I don't want to overstate my case, but it is a strong concern that I have. It's a, of greater concern to me than politics, I'll tell you that. And I heard someone say the other day that we all thought cryptocurrency was going to be the next thing. Obviously, it's not. It's collapsing, thank God. But this is the next thing, artificial intelligence, and it will be used maliciously, and we have to get smart. So in going back to basics today, and we'll start with our opening meditation here, the whole idea is to help us become better at pulling on intuition, which is really more than emotional intelligence. It's access to the oversoul, to the higher self. It's the wisdom of the soul. That's what intuition is. And it's not instinct. Instinct and intuition, as we've discussed before, are uh, polarities. Instinct is more lower gut, base of the spine, first and second chakras, root and sacral. And it's really, oh no, it's an animal, fear-based, run away. Intuition is more heart-based. Well, it's like a bar magnet between the, the root and the heart. The intuition is the top of the bar magnet. That's the, the love-based, oh boy, what to move toward. And both are referred to as gut feelings, but intuition is really much more than a gut feeling. I think it's important for you to reflect on that, too. So let's do our opening meditation, and then we'll launch into what is meditation? What is contemplation? What options do we have? How do we distinguish between basic vipassana, which is developing awareness, and those meditations that are about developing concentration, attaining an expanded awareness or a higher degree of consciousness where reality just unfolds in front of you and you get these epiphanies, these, these revelations that you can then take to the world and compare and contrast with what you're being told by other people on the television and the, uh, the internet. Okay. Hope you have some questions or comments about this at the end of today's class when we go to the Q&A. So with that, why don't you get comfortable and uh, prepare to meditate? Sit up straight, but don't be rigid about it. Just sit up and put your shoulders back and center yourself. And bring this affect of goodness and truth and beauty with you gently. Floating up is when you awaken without an alarm on a lazy weekend morning.
And three, his eyes open, wide awake, back in the room, take a big, slow, deep breath. Hold just a moment as you peek, and then slowly, ah, maybe a little stretch. Eyes open, wide awake, back in the room. Feeling fine, feeling better than before. Good. Welcome back. <laughs> so, practicing visualization is a wonderful skill. It has many practical applications. But even esoterically, or when we choose to develop ourselves spiritually, to have a third eye, so-called, the eye that becomes single and the body is filled with light, the focus or the concentration of the mind's eye, really helps the brain to understand because we tend to think in pictures, don't we? I mean, we speak in words, but we visualize naturally and normally with pictures in our minds. Sometimes we're even aware that we're doing it. You know, you may say to somebody, wait a minute, how's that look? I'm trying to visualize it. There's basically three ways that people organize information, and we all use all three ways, but one tends to predominate. I wonder if you're familiar with this model. In no particular order, the first is to visualize. People who visualize, when they break eye contact with you, they tend to look up. They'll look up to the left, they'll look up to the right, they may roll their eyes straight up. And they will use predicates and verbs like, it looks to me like, or the way I see it. Sometimes a visual will even begin a sentence with, look, which is a kind of a placeholder. It's like, um, or, uh, but we're appealing unconsciously to the person or the group that we're talking to, to draw upon their ability to visualize. Look, if you can see what I see, <laughs> if you would just look at this, right, and see it this way, and then the second group are the auditory people. This is me. <laughs> this is my primary representational system, primary rep system, is auditory. When I break eye contact with you and we're sitting face-to-face, uh, -face, I'm likely to look off to one side or another. And it's because I'm listening to the voices in my head. And I... I'm less likely to begin a sentence with look than with listen. Uh, the way I hear it, or it sounds to me like, and we love the sound of our own voice. We love to, <laughs> we love to hear ourselves talk. Uh, listening is a skill that we need to develop. To be a good listener, deep listening, uh, that's a wonderful gift to offer to people. But it can be a little risky and a little scary to listen, especially if you think you have to answer. Something I learned doing talk shows for 40-plus years in Los Angeles 
um, gosh, my radio career was 54 years, actually, before I hung it up. You don't have to have all the answers. I would do these open conversation talk shows before Rush Limbaugh came along and it all became nasty and political and hateful. Old-fashioned talk shows in the 60s and the 70s uh, were really interesting. People could call and talk about whatever they wanted. If we disagreed, we did it respectfully and and uh, argued respectfully and honorably. And uh, gosh, those were some of my favorite days in radio. But my point is I didn't feel like I had to be the answer guy. And I taught journalism for a time in uh, in college at uh, Mount San Antonio College in Walnut. And it was something that we talked about was the power of the question. Being a reporter, a journalist, you ask questions and you get a certain authority from asking questions. In fact, people in authority do not like uh, to be asked a question because it challenges their authority. The one who questions is the authority, you see. So there's more power in a question quite often than in believing you have to have the answer. So to say, well, I don't know, is a very powerful thing. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Put it right back on them. And then, well, it could be this, but, you know, it might be that, and just dig deeply and be as honest as you can about not knowing. That's exceedingly powerful. But to have the question and to be willing to question instead of thinking you have to have all the answers is a very important insight. I know there's anxiety at the end of this class when I go to Q&A I know you have questions, but many people are nervous about asking the question as if it'll expose the fact that you don't have the answer and you must be some dummy or something. If you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, first thing I'll say is, I don't know. Uh, it could be this, seems like it might be that, and I cast about. No shame in that. But I'm, I'm getting a little far afield. The three rep systems are visual, break eye contact, you look up, looks to me like the way I see it, and the auditory, number two, they usually say, listen, sounds to me like, or if you could hear it, if you would just listen to what I'm saying and hear me clearly, and then the third rep system is the kinesthetic. The visual tend to be the most active, and their hand movements are up here because, again, they're looking up. That's where everything is. Uh, the auditory is a little slower, uh, less exaggerated with their hand movement. And if they do use their hands, it's down here, a little lower. Well, the kinesthetic is the slowest of all. And they have to dig deeply to find their intuition, to find their answers. And when they break eye contact, they look down. And they might say something like, I'm trying to get a handle on this. 
or, uh, hey, get a grip, right? They want to feel it. They want to touch it. They want to hold it in their hands. Again, each of us is all three, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, but the vast majority of people have one rep system, representational system that predominates. So you may ask yourself, I'm sure you are right now, gosh, am I a visual? Do I look up, talk about what I see, or ask others what they see, or why can't you see what I'm saying? And the auditory that tends to look out to the side, listening for the voices in their head, or the kinesthetic. But all of us think in pictures internally. It's very important to be able to visualize. And it's one of the secrets of meditation. In some schools of meditation, some spiritual and strict religious disciplines, the secret of visualization is, <laughs> it's just that, it's a secret. It's like held without any mention until a certain stage of development. And now we're going to fill you in on the, uh, the big power of guided imagery and visualization. We've talked in the past, in, recently as a matter of fact, about um, pain control and healing. This is a great use of visualization. In the coming weeks, as I dwell on personal development, and I've got at least 25 tools for you. I checked, <laughs> made a list. I've got at least 25 tools for you for problem solving, uh, decision making, for pain control and healing. For memory, uh, general stress reduction, uh, dealing with performance anxiety. We'll even talk about reading and study and memory and uh, how to access your emotions, how to develop intuition to understand why you feel the way you feel. The difference between a physical feeling and an emotional feeling, both of which are felt, or all of which, are felt in the body. That's why they're called feelings. In the past, ancient philosophers thought of emotional feelings as being primarily physical. When Plato talked about mind, body, and soul, there's no emotional nature in there. The emotional nature was part of the body, not the mind. It was mental, physical, which is emotional and physical sense and sensation. And then the soul was the spiritual, the awareness, mind, body, and soul. Well, today, the emotional nature is considered a mental attribute. So if you have a physical problem, you go to a medical doctor. But if you have an emotional or mental problem, you go to a mental health specialist. We don't really have emotional health specialists, do we? Psychotherapy, psycho means mind. So we see the emotion is a product of mentality rather than the physical body. In 
fact, uh, it's a candy mint and a breath mint. <laughs> the emotional nature is both mental and physical. It has emotions have a very, uh, very clear relationship with thoughts for thinking, cognition. Uh, wondering is a is a good example of a thought and a feeling blended, where the thought will generate the feeling, but the feeling can generate the thoughts. And I've heard, you know, psychiatrists and psychotherapists arguing about which is first. Do thoughts create feelings or feelings create thoughts? Well, both. How about both? <laughs> it's a back and a forth. Each can yield the other, can uh, promote the other. So a feeling can generate a way of thinking and vice versa. But the beauty of the feeling is that it's both mental and physical. It has a relationship with our thinking, but it's felt in the body. That's why it's in the middle. Right? Emotions are in the heart, they're the center between thought and behavior. So, in the back and forth between feeling and thought, when you get it together, it should be a clear, specific thought and energy driven forward by the force. Uh, so, energy is mentality, force is emotion. The clear ideation, thought, the visual imagery sort of our topic for today, the mind's eye, driven forward by the passion or held back by the fear. Emotions, uh, uh, there's an accelerator and a brake <laughs> in the emotional nature. So it could be oh boy or oh no. But that's the motive, the emotion is the energy in motion, that's the drive. And then the physical body and the world around us is the expression of the thought, the feeling, that's the right order. Lots of our behavior comes out of the emotion without any thought at all. It's called reflexive behavior. But if today's session is about guided imagery and visualization, it plays a role in all of these tools. And we'll learn not only to discern the meaning of your, of your feelings or a set of feelings in the present moment, but also childhood trauma to go back and take a look at why you still remember that day in the second grade when somebody laughed at you or made fun of you. Of all the memories, why is that stuck? Or your parents fighting with that divorce? Or the alcoholism and drug abuse in your family, why is that still tormenting you? How can you free yourself from the chains that that bind us from childhood trauma. There's tools and techniques for that. You don't have to sit with a psychotherapist. Sometimes you do, but more often than not, you need not sit there for three years listening to, and then how did you feel? And then how did you feel? And how did that make you feel? And what happened after that? You can apply the tool. Just like you have a hammer and a wrench and a screwdriver and a ratchet wires you'll learn to use the tools again i got at least 25 of them for you 